Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's the Monday show on a Tuesday again with me, Andrew Musgrove, and on your castle, United editor, Aaron Stokes. Aaron, how are we keeping well? well? Yeah, very well. I think we're, you know, we're making an unfortunate habit of doing these Monday shows on a Tuesday at the moment, aren't we? Yeah, I apologise once again. I was I was off gallivanting, so um, it's my fault it's on, on Tuesday, but um, I was away doing a 10-mile run. And to take you behind the curtain of the podcast, I'm quite happy that we're actually not in the office this week because we're on the third floor of a big tower block and we might have had to have recorded it like on the second floor landing because I don't think I'll be getting up them stairs. So I'm quite pleased uh, we're at home this week. Yeah, I mean, I will just say congratulations on the 10-mile run, even though you were telling everybody in the office that it was a half marathon, but, you know, we'll let you off. It wasn't intentional. I'm just not very good at maths. So, you know, maybe the PM's new uh, maths policy can help us out. I just, you know, I'm not very good with numbers. Um, how was your weekend? Good, have a good, good, good one? Yeah, very good. Um, had a lovely Saturday, even though Newcastle got beat. I was at a, a very uh, close friend of mine's wedding. Um, you know, beautiful venue, beautiful weather. And my phone just kept pinging in my, in my jacket pocket during the ceremony. I was thinking, who's trying to get in touch with us? Uh, and, I, and I left the wedding and I just discovered that it was actually just the notifications coming through on my phone that Villa had scored another and another and another. So, yeah, Saturday was good. Sunday when I watched the match, not as good. But, yeah, all in all, a good weekend. Yeah, not a good Saturday for Newcastle. And as Aaron said there, and as you guys don't need reminding, Newcastle lost 3-0 at Villa Park. And there's no getting around it, Aaron. It was the worst performance of the entire season for Newcastle United. From 21 seconds on the clock, they looked second best. Um, disappointing. I mean, we're obviously, we're going to go into depth about the whys and what happened, but just sum up the performance and, and, and why you think Newcastle, for really the second week in a row, I know they performed really well against Brentford in the second half, but the first half was just as dismal as it was at Villa. Uh, why? Where, where, why are Newcastle starting so slowly, slowly you're thinking? You know, we spoke about it last week and we and we both sort of said that we couldn't really put our finger on it as to why they were, you know, they're still starting games slowly away from home. You could sort of say that with West Ham and Brentford, they had an excuse, you know, back-to-back away games in London that stayed down there. They hadn't really had their normal training preparation. But when you've got a week, you know, to prepare for Villa, who, yes, are in fantastic form, you can't again. We can't really put your finger on why it's it's not happened for them on the road. Um, as you say, twenty one seconds on the clock. Villa hit the, the woodwork, and you're thinking, is it going to be another sort of West Ham Brentford scenario where they can just ride an early storm and then kick on? But you know, it wasn't to be. And as I say, Villa in great form. You know, let's not take anything away from it. But as you say, and I think Ed, Eddie Howe would agree. You'd say the the worst performance of the season. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned there, 21 seconds on the clock was Ollie Watkins' first uh, sight of goal. Past Trippier, and what got me was Fabian Chair looked like he was running through concrete, and it kind of set the tone for the rest of the game. And most of the chances Villa had were very similar to the first one they had, the ball over the top, where the defence just could not handle the pace of players, especially Watkins. And it is disappointing, like you said, they've had all that time to prepare. And... Newcastle have done so well this season that you would think they know exactly what to expect off Villa, um, but they were just outdone by the side who were just much better on the day. Yeah, I think, you know, going into it, obviously both both teams in really good form, you know, Newcastle five wins on the bounce, Villa four wins on the bounce, but Villa just looked like a team, 
you know, Villa looked so much better on the day. Um, and I think, you know, just such an uncharacteristic performance from the back four, as you mentioned, Fabian Chair, who's, you know, very rarely put a foot wrong this season. He looked like, you know, the, the share of old, really, the share of the Steve Bruce era, you know, of Ollie Watkins running in behind and, you know, Cher didn't know whether he was coming or going. Um, I think, you know, we'll, we'll go on it, I'm sure, in depth a bit later, but I think they missed Sean Longstaff in the middle. I, you know, I wasn't too unhappy with the team selection. I think, you know, a lot of fans want to see Gordon from the outset. They wanted to see him after, you know, what happened at Brentford. But I think in the middle of the park, you know, Longstaff's energy and his, you know, sort of the bits he does off the ball, I think we're missing. But huge chance to bounce, bounce back on Saturday, uh, sorry, on Sunday, you know, back at St James's Park. And it feels like they really do need a home game after, you know, these, you know, the stints away from home. Yes, I was going to save my uh, thanks to Bournemouth for later in the episode, but I'll do it now. Thank you, Bournemouth, so, so much for that last-minute winner against Spurs. Um, we are going to go in-depth about the three goals because um, I think I think first off, Aaron, it's important to put my point of view across. The game was dismal, but it doesn't impact my thoughts about this, the, the season as a whole. Newcastle have done fantastically well. You're going to have bad games like this. You can't win every game. You've had three away games on the bounce. You know, at some point, you are going to have a, a day like this. Every team has them, so... Guys watching and guys listening, don't misinterpret what, what we're doing, what we're saying. I'm sure Aaron agrees with me. But we are going to have to go into depth about the goals conceded because it was not a good performance from Newcastle and it would be amiss of us not to do so. Um, I mean, the first goal really actually annoys me slightly because no way should Watkins be winning the header to get bounce that down. And if he does, then they've got to be picking that man up. And if you look here at the screenshot that I've put here, on the live broadcast, you can see Ramsey in so much space. And look at the edge of the box. You've got you've got Jacob Murphy there. You've got um, Bruno there. You've got Joe Linton on the far. You've got Willick uh, running in. Look at the space Ramsey's got. If you know, if Eddie Howe needs a reaction from his players, I just print this off and stick this around the dressing room because showing them that should really get them up and say, okay, that's not good enough. We can't be doing that in the Premier League. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, if you hadn't watched the game, you would probably imagine that that still was from the 70th or the 80th minute. But to, you know, to be sort of caught out like that so early on, sort of really set the tone. I thought, you know, Villa were winning every everything, every first ball, every second ball. Um, and yeah, like we said, we can't really put a finger on it. It's not as if, you know, they were on the back of a really tough, grueling game away from home. They'd had a lot of time to prepare for it. Um, and I think Villa just wanted it more. And I think, you know, Billy makes a good point here. Everybody's hurting after it because there's been so many wins in a row and you get so carried away and used to it. But as he says, you know, you can't win everything. And I think your point that you've made is valid. Yes, we need to talk about the defeat. Nobody likes to, but, you know, this is the, the podcast we do where we review the matches. It doesn't take anything away from the run they've been on. It doesn't take anything away from the season. Um, and, you know, I think we'll all agree that it's probably just going to be a little blip and a footnote. And if the beat Spurs on Sunday... You know, it's all but forgotten about, really. Yeah, most certainly. And fingers crossed they do. I mean, the, the second goal, you just have to ask how the ball gets across to Watkins in the middle. And the rest of it is, again, not good defending. You know, Dan Byrne turned far too easily and threw the legs into the back of the net. And then the third goal as well, not good. I think it's McGinn that beats two players with ease, puts the ball across. And Watkins is drowning in space. You know, why isn't Trippier closer to him? What actually stood out about that third goal was 
Elliot Anderson giving the ball away. He's trying to take on a player. He's been tackled, and that's led to McGinn running in. And it happened on the first goal as well with Dan Burney. He tried to be clever, and he got caught out, and eventually the ball ended up over to Watkins and then into Ramsey. And I think at times, trying to play out is always, is, is, it's always nice on the eye, but at times I think you've just got to, you've got to clear your lines. Because, again, you look at it, two mistakes there, they've cost the castle two, two important goals. Absolutely. And look, Dan Burns had a fantastic season. I love what he's done this term, but I never want to see him try a Cruyff turn in his own half ever again. And I think, you know, that just summed it up. This easy decisions weren't being made. Sloppy in possession like they were, you know, at the start of um, the West Ham game and at times against Brentford. You know, Derek said it in the comments, the burn turn. Don't think it's going to be, you know, going down in a in history for being a positive uh, nickname for him. But yeah, look, it, it was just one of those. In this defence, you know, as we say, we sort of forget that they're human. We forget that, you know, Fabian Cher when he cost three million. We forget that Dan Burners, you know, just this local lad playing this team. They've been so good this season. We sort of are taken aback and shocked when they have a rare off game. And, um, you know, they've hardly put a foot wrong this season as a collective. And I think, you know, Saturday is just a game that they all want to forget instantly. Derek says, don't get carried away like the masses. Bad day at the office. Don't change the best defence in the league. Normal service will be resumed. Keep the faith. Villa at home, top form. No need to panic. Um, I agree. You know, quite uh, quite a lot with what he said there. The interesting bit is don't change the best defence in the league because yet again, the reaction social media, the questions, the debate has all been about Dan Byrne and Matt Target. Now we know anyhow. Only said a couple of weeks ago about he doesn't really like to change his defence and he doesn't need to. I just wonder if the threshold's been been met because Dan Burnie by no means was the worst player on the pitch, but he was certainly vulnerable. Um, is it time for Matt Target to come in against Spurs? Or do you, as Derek says, just keep the same back four? It's really interesting that this Target debate keeps sort of rearing its head every couple of weeks. And, you know, Dan Byrne has a stink when instantly it's right. We get to get Target back in. And then, you know, Dan Byrne has an absolute world against Man United and Target's forgotten about and. I'm not sure. I think I think Byrne probably deserves to stay in the team. You know, I would like to see Target get more minutes. I think, you know, you've got to feel for him in terms of his general his entire Newcastle career. He's hardly put a foot wrong. He hasn't really had a, a bad patch of form. He's been very unlucky with injuries. But as you say, you know, this defence is the best in the league when they're on form. You know, they are, you know, statistically and probably on the eye, the best defence in the league. And I think look at the games that you know, the games against the big teams this season, Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, Dan Burns been there for them all. And, you know, he got the better of Salah, he got the better than Anthony last week. Yes, he maybe struggled against Saka um, at the Emirates, but on the whole, he's dealt with these, you know, we always look at the team sheet, you think, who have this team got right midfield? Are they going to cause Dan Burns problems? And the majority of this season, he's dealt with it. So I think I'm with Derek and I think I'd keep the, the defence the same. Johnny says it's our first real poor performance. Usually, when we have played bad this season, it's only been because we can't break teams down. We couldn't go a whole season without something like this. Trules says Burn needs to be on the bench and target in. Burn has been bad for a period now. Uh, time for a change in their opinion. I mean, it's going to be interesting because Spurs, for all them in bad form and a bit of chaos, you know they've got players that will hurt your full-backs if you leave yourself open. And 
interestingly as well, and again, don't come at me, this is me talking about it as a game-by-game -game basis, Kieran Trippier had a very bad game against Aston Villa. Um, he just didn't look himself. Again, right from the word go, he looked just out of sorts, and he's going to have to be the Kieran Trippier that we've seen in the last few weeks. We want to see that against Spurs, because again, Spurs, as I say, for all that they're having a bad time of it, they've got players who will punish you. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Trippier had done really well to sort of recover his form the last couple of weeks. Everybody had started to, you know, notice and, and start talking about the sort of dip post-World Cup. Um, but I think Sunday's the perfect game at Trippier and Trippier. One, because it's his former club, but also because it's that game where you need leadership. It's back at St James's Park. He, more than anyone, will probably want to right the wrongs of Saturday. Um, yeah, so I think the decision just comes on the other flank and I you know, we're already getting comments in here about talking about bringing Matt Target in. There'll be a lot of clamour for it, as there was the other day, uh, sorry, the other week. But knowing Eddie Howe and how he doesn't like the change of team, I just I just can't see it happening. Uh, Les says, Eddie will know how sharp Target is or not. I trust that we made the right decision for the team. And that's something that Roger agrees with as well. You know, there was a lot of talk about Callum Wilson and Alexander Isaac playing together from the off. And I think you might actually see more calls for that. I don't think anyone will do it, but I think you might see more calls for that in the games to come because, again, they just it just wasn't working going forward against Villa. And I think most people's initial reaction is to turn to, well, let's let's try and play Isaac and Wilson together and, and act from the off and, and let's see what happens. Is that something you can maybe see happening against Spurs? Not from the outset, no. I, you know, I've made my you know feelings clear about what I, I, I like seeing it off the bench. I like having that option. I think Eddie Howe has, you know, all but confirmed that he sees it the same. He likes um, the system he's got. He likes having that option later on the bench. He thinks it works later in a game when you may be chasing or, you know, you need something different. Um, after Saturday, I don't think that's my sort of immediate reaction to go straight to right. Okay, let's change the. You know the attacking system. Yes, they you know they were a bit um, blunt on Saturday, and, and they couldn't really get the better of Villa. But I still would go for one or the other, and it would be interesting to know what the fans think in the comments of this. Because as you say, I think we will probably see calls for it. I think certainly it was in the season, but when the stakes are so high, and you know this system has worked ninety five percent of this season, where you only have one of them up front. And I think how knows that and he'll stick with that. Darren says we need a better performance against Spurs as the performance against Villa was poor. We were lucky to come away with a 3-0 loss at Villa. And he's right there. Nick Pope pulling off two or three fantastic saves. I think only him and Isaac really came out with any sort of credit. But again, one thing I think that was very noticeable, especially in the first half, was there was a lack of communication really between uh, the goalkeeper and the, and the defence. You know, they've been rock solid, you know, was it now 23 goals have conceded this season? I think they're still uh, the fifth least across all uh, of the big leagues in Europe. You know, they've had a tremendous defensive record, but it just seemed against Villa that not only were the shape lacking and not only were they getting caught out with the pace, but the, the communication, the talking wasn't quite there. And I think that affected them as well. Yeah, you know, it's bad when, you know, your goalkeeper lets in three and he's arguably your team's man of the match. And I think that was probably the case on Saturday. I thought, you know, Pope really did keep the scoreline down from being a cricket score. Um, I, I get exactly what you mean. I think you just have to watch the first 20 seconds of that game to, you know, to see exactly what the was the recurring theme. And that was 
the defence not knowing who was picking up who, they weren't able to deal with Ollie Watkins, who, by the way, is you know absolutely flying at the minute. I think that's another thing you've got to factor in. He's playing at the very top of his game. Um, but Nick Pope, I thought, was very assured. It was very similar to Brighton at the start of the season where you know he really did sort of you know, keep Newcastle in the game at times, um, which is good to see because the last couple of weeks, even though they've got the best defence in the league, a little bit shaky with his feet, a little bit shaky when sort of flying out a goal. He needed to get that Liverpool mistake out of his system. And I think even though they got absolutely hammered on Saturday, he'll come away with that thinking, you know, I didn't do too badly. Mm. We've got um, to kind of phrase here saying we can't really afford a player to strike us from the start in case of injury for the rest of the season. That's kind of where I'm at when it comes to, to that debate. And Les backs it up as well and says, and Wilson can't realistically play 90 minutes week in, week out without injury. Let's get on to then the other big question, and that is Sean Longstaff. Now, anyhow, pick the side that I thought that I wanted to see. I wanted to see Joe Linton in the middle and Gordon on the left. I was pleasantly surprised. We now know it was kind of done because Sean Longstaff was suffering from tonsillitis. First off, before we get on to just how much Newcastle missed Sean Longstaff. I was bitterly disappointed by the midfield three. I thought after that second-half performance against Brentford, when Joe Linton was a tank, he was running through everybody, you know, that's the reason I wanted him to start against Villa because he, he had as close as a 10 out of 10 performance you could get against Brentford in that second half. He was a little bit non-existent. And I, and I felt actually the whole the whole midfield three with it was very disappointing. And the space they afforded Villa's players was was rather alarming as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, if we did one of our chronicle surveys and asked the fans who the best midfield three is, I think a lot of them would say that. I think when you look at the three that he started with at Villa Park, that's the general consensus that they're maybe the the three best. But they were absolutely, you know, ran ragged. You know, John McGinn had the you know time and space. Even when Moreno, the left back, was drifting inside, no one could get near him. And it just goes back to Eddie Howe was absolutely spot on just two weeks ago when he said Sean Longstaff's performances go under the radar. He's not as flashy as Bruno. He's not as imposing as Joe Linton. And he's probably not as thought of as highly as Joe Willick. But actually, the job he does in this team is absolutely crucial. And the reason he flies under the radar is because sort of similar to Isaac Hayden back in the day when he was playing alongside Shelby and Hayden had to do the graft and the water carrying. Sean Longstaff's what that is. And he puts the graft in. And I think when your midfield's being sort of overrun like that on Saturday, a player like him is exactly what you need. I, you know, get your point. It was tonsillitis and, you know, it was maybe an enforced change, but I think it's just a reminder of how important he's become to this team in recent months. And I've got some quotes from Eddie Howe. He said, we miss Sean's tenacity, his legs and energy, his endurance levels are the very highest level and we didn't look right in midfield. You might as well put the team sheet up on the board now because Sean Longstaff is playing if he's fitting well uh, against Spurs on Sunday. Before I get your reaction to those comments, my question to you would be, Aaron, if Newcastle missed Sean Longstaff that much, and I look, I 100% agree that I think they did miss him on, on Saturday, why is he then the first to always get sacrificed? You know, the cup final um, against Brentford, Joe Linton moves in and had, you know, in these games, he was not at the level that Eddie Howe describes there. So I'm just wondering, is it, does, is Sean lacking a bit of consistency? I'm just wondering how, how 
his performances week in, week out measure with the description you've given, of course, Eddie Howe's given there? I think, you know, he, he and Jacob Murphy, as you say, are probably the first ones to be sacrificed, as we saw um, at Brentford. Maybe it's because he knows that Willock and Joelinton offer more going forward when they need to chase a game. Bruno, obviously, is Bruno and, you know, pretty much undroppable. Um, Longstaff has got much better at positioning and getting at the box late and trying to offer that, you know, going forward. He's got a very good relationship with Trippier and Miggy down the right. But still, you would look at, as I said, the other midfielders in that team and think they're probably going to offer more of a goal threat. When you're chasing a game and you need to take midfielder off for an attacker, he's probably the man to do it. But the team looks so much more uneven when he's not in it. You know, as you say, the, you know, he covers more blades, blades, of, blades of grass than any other player. Um, he does the stuff that doesn't really get noticed. And I think such a fascinating story. Everybody talks about Joel and, and Miggy and how they've sort of rectified and saved their careers. But actually, Sean Longstaff, yes, you know, he was nearly on his way out in the Bruce. Many thought he wouldn't have a chance in this team under Howe. And I think, you know, long term, there's probably question marks to be asked about it. But certainly in the short term, you know, he's done himself absolutely um, no harm at all. And as you say, I think he walks back into that team on Sunday if he's fully fit. Yeah, I think, uh, right, so with Eddie Howe's comments, he pretty much does, doesn't he? Um, who who do you come in for? Um, for me, I think I think you take Gordon out of the team um, and I think you probably move, you know, Joel Litton further up. I know that it's not, you know, the most popular of tactics and, Joel Linton is probably better in that midfield, but I think, you know, Willick's had a you know very good patch of form. And I don't know, look, look, take nothing away from Anthony Gordon. He's clearly still trying to get a speed in this team, as we've seen with so many players when they join and they've got to join this really physical, fast-pressing Eddie Howe system. I just think he just probably needs, you know, a little bit more time to settle in. I'm not sure whether he's, you know, seen it as best from the outset. Um so I think that would be the change I would make. And he says, you have to remember, lads, it was three games away from home in a couple of days. The lads were wrecked. Yeah, and that will that will pay, definitely play a factor. And I think, you know, that's it. They are positives to take when you look at the bigger picture um, to what happened. Obviously, Spurs losing to Bournemouth. The race for the Champions League is in Newcastle's hands. They beat Spurs on Sunday and, you know, it's looking a very, very rosy picture. But a response is needed. You know, they have to be, well, it's no secret, they have to be better than they were against Aston Villa. And Eddie Howe says they'll analyse it, they'll move on quickly. I'm just wondering behind closed doors how quickly you can actually move on. I think we all know that there's no way Eddie Howe will literally watch that match back once and then say, right, we're done with it. Because I think he'll bring up screenshots like I did earlier on the show and say, that is not good enough. You weren't running where you were meant to be. You were out of position. You know, he will go in and he maybe it was yesterday, maybe, you know, it was to, it'll be today. And he will drill into the players that that is not good enough. That's not the standard that he, Jason Tindall, the rest of the, uh, the coaching staff uh, want or demand from, from the players. Absolutely. I think you just have to listen to the players um, speaking after the game on Saturday to realise that they know that they were you know, all far below their best. I think Eddie Howe, the only motivation he needs to give these players is show them the clips of them playing Chelsea at home and playing Manchester United at home and playing even Liverpool at home. I know they got beat, but against the big teams in St James's Park this season, Newcastle have got it spot on time after time, even Manchester City, where nobody could really give them a chance. Um, and look, 
it is the perfect opportunity to bounce back, not just because of it being fourth versus fifth and where Tottenham are, but they could not be playing a team in more disarray at the moment. You know, no manager, you know, Stellini clearly can't get a, a tune out the players. You've got the fans booing Davinson Sanchez. You've got, you know, their right back who was signed in January having to delete his Twitter account. I mean, the club is just an absolute chaos. And I think, you know, Newcastle can pretty much end Tottenham's top four hopes on Sunday. And that's all the motivation that they should probably need. Yeah, fingers crossed. And a few more comments to come then. Uh, Darren says, I know it was only one loss in six, but it's the way we were ripped apart by Villa. It's like the players gave up. And that, that, yeah, I can see where he's coming from with that comment because if you look at the reaction to the goals, usually when you cast on the pass or conceded goal, you've got Trippier with his hands up in the air, you know, you've got Wilson or whoever just or Bruno pointing to that tempo and just saying, right, let's, let's collect, let's, you know, reorganise, let's think about it, no need to panic, calm down. But there was none of that. In all of the three of the goals, hand on, hands on hips, kind of turning away. Like There was none of that. And I just wonder why you think that was. Because usually we do see an instant reaction and leaders stepping up to the plate and just making sure that Newcastle are fully focused and getting back onto the game. We didn't see that on Saturday. Well, I think, you know, one side of the coin is that Villa was so relentless. They didn't give Newcastle you know, a chance to get back in the game. And I think on the other side, we've seen against... West Ham, yes, they started really slowly, but were clinical. You know, they got back in the game. Sorry, they took the lead straight away. Brentford, they made changes at half time, and you saw an instant reaction. I just think, you know, Newcastle on Saturday, whatever they tried, nothing was lighting that spark. You know, nothing was giving them the sort of oomph. And when Villa are absolutely, you know, piling the pressure on early doors, and you feel like you're just under the cosh, there wasn't really a chance for Newcastle to have those moments where they have the lift and they, you know sort of change the the way the game's going. So there's plenty of reasons, there's plenty of factors. You know, as I say, we're so used to Newcastle United winning at the minute. It feels like the world ends when, you know, they eventually do lose. Um, but look, being back at St James is going to be such a huge thing. The atmosphere Sunday, you know, I mean, Sunday games are always special. It's going to be even more so this weekend. Um, and as I say, it's the perfect, perfect game to get back on track. I asked for some uh, comments over the weekend regarding Longstaff. I've got a few in on, on Twitter, so I'll read some of them out. Um, Ian Simpson says, he doesn't know with Longstaff. He's been brilliant since the final, but against my United, uh, sorry, against my United, I thought was his best game in a black and white shirt. Yet last week he was so poor and the improvement after he was subbed was so obvious. Nicholas says, you may be right, but who would have thought Joe Lytton would have been so poor and Willick so insipid? What concerns me more is the form of Botman. Could moving Burn into centre back and target return left back be good? Be good for him. Should Longstaff return against Spurs? Yes, but in place of Willick. So actually, let's deal with Nicola's comments there. We'll go first on Longstaff's return in place of Willick. Is that something you think should happen against Spurs? Um, no, I think as I said, I, th- I prefer to see Gorn drop out than Willick. I know, as we said, Joe is probably better in the middle. Um, but I really like Willick. I think at home games, especially, he's you know he's found this new sort of swagger and confidence. Um, so I would keep him in. As for the other comment, that is a that is a very bold, bold, bold statement from Nick Lennar. Yeah. So go on then. Moving Burn into centre back and Target returning to left back. I think there'd be a riot outside St James's Park if anyhow try to drop them. But when I get a point, you know, you know, you had that mistake against Forest. He was a little bit shaky. Um, in the game since, but you know, it goes back to that point I was making at the start that the best defence in the league, Botman has had, 
you know, some fantastic games. He was very, very good against Manchester United. You know, I, yeah, I think that's very wishful thinking to have Burnley placing him at the centre back. Is it, I mean, it's not what I'm saying clear. Maybe Nicolas suggesting moving Burnley to centre back alongside Bottman, but that would be too left footed centre back. Yeah, he'll probably then move Bottman over at the right, which he hasn't really tried yet. So, yeah, I think. I think that'd still probably be a riot, given how you know Cher has suddenly had this big elevation among the fans. But um, yeah, I can't see that happening. But they've got options now, and even even if Target just comes in for a straight swap, I don't think many, you know, too many fans would be upset about that. They've got options now in the midfield to change it. They've got a lot of options out wide, um, especially with Miggy coming through that game unscathed. You know, it's a, maybe a question as to whether he comes back in on the right. I don't know what you feel about that, but. Um, I, I the thing is, I I think Jacob Murphy again. I know no one played too well on on side, but he was putting balls into the box when he had the opportunity. And maybe, maybe you do you bring Miggy back in? I mean, clearly, you know they brought him on to try and change the game against Villa, and it didn't work. They did look they did look more of a threat when him and Wilson came on. Um, maybe you move Murphy onto the left and drop out either Willick or, or Joe Linton. I, I don't know. Um, but then we know already how he doesn't really like to make too many changes. So, really, the only change I can see happening is Sean Longstaff coming in for somebody. And I think there's a good chance it probably will be, as you say, I move Joe Linton out onto the left and, and in for Gordon. So, it'll be interesting to see that team sheet when it drops on, on Sunday. I saw a few comments on social media after the game talking about Botman. And obviously, he's arrived. He's been fantastic. A lot of people really happy with him, comparing him to the best centre-back in a generation, the best since Woodgate, others after the game on, on Saturday. And in the last few weeks as well, they've kind of said, just just you know, hold your horses, calm down a, a wee bit. Do you think that, not, not just the performance on Saturday, but over the last few weeks when the defence has started looking a little bit more vulnerable, do Newcastle need a top-class centre-back to come in alongside him to make sure that that progress that we've seen since he's arrived continues and he goes to the next level? Um, I, I think, look, I don't think it's the most pressing thing on the agenda in terms of this summer, but I would certainly like to see maybe, you know, maybe a more experienced centre-back come in to maybe fight for Fabian Cher's place. He's not getting any younger himself, obviously. And I mean, as we say, you know, he is the walking wounded every week. Um I think a right-sided centre back is probably what the you know Howell want. Whether they you know go for a youngster who's you know maybe a bit younger than Botman and can sort of you know grow with them together, I'm not too sure. But I think you know you look at that defence and really you know we're left talking about moving Burn back in. You know we haven't really heard anybody talking about Jamal Lascelles coming back in, which probably goes to show that they are maybe a little bit light in that department. Um, so I think a right foot centre back would, you know, definitely, you know, not go and miss this summer. Interesting uh, summer to come. Uh, back onto the Longstaff debate then. Alistair says you notice Longstaff more when he isn't there, but this was a shocker which Longstaff has been in before. Let's not make out like he would have been the difference. Eric, total different end of the spectrum with this with his comments. Uh, Longstaff is the midfield glue. He holds the midfield together and pulls the team around the pitch. Willick and Big Joe need to overlap. Having them on opposite sides of the pitch didn't work. Um, what do you make of those comments? I think it just sums up Sean Longstaff in a, in a nutshell, and that is that the fans are so polarised by him, and you know maybe it does go back to the, the reason that he's not a forty million pound player and he's not flashy and he doesn't do the you know the sort of eye catching stuff. But 
I'm not saying Sean Longstaff would have changed the entire game on Saturday and Newcastle would have came away with three points. But I certainly think they would have had more of a grip on the game. I certainly think they would have had a lot more control in the middle of the park. Um, and I think you do notice him when he's not there. Yes, you can you know, point back to the games like he's been hauled off early, but when he's not in that team, you know they do look like a different animal. So I think you know he's slowly but surely starting to win a lot of fans round that were previously a bit unconvinced about him. I'm going to put some comments on about Botland. I know Nicola watches later on in the show, so keep sending your comments in, Nicola, and this is not you know, a, a reflection of your comments. Uh, Johnny says, drop Botman with several um, Laffy emoji faces. And he says, can't drop Botman, no chance. Um, and he says, I'd like to say switch, swap for Burn, Burns done well. I'm not really sure if he's talking about Cher or Botman then. But yeah, the Botman dropout, not um, well received. But again, I'm, I will defend it. It wasn't 100% clear whether she was talking about Cher dropping out or indeed Botman. So she might come back later and tell us what she meant. Um Roger says on my point about Murphy, um, he says he likes Murphy, but not out on the left. Johnny reminds us that Miggy tore Spurs apart the last time. Uh, and also says, after results like this, people are very short-sighted, feel the need to make changes for changes' sake is not the way to do it. So, Aaron, just a bad day at the office then? Yeah, it is. And, and you know, you can't win them all. You're coming up against a team that are absolutely flying at home. Emery's got them absolutely drilled and, you know, really, really clear philosophy. And it was just a bad day at the office. We've got so used to coming on these Monday or Tuesday shows and, you know, waxing lyrical about how Newcastle are never going to lose a game again. But, you know, it's just a little crash back down to earth. It's maybe what they needed. Anyhow, you know, regularly says that he, you know, tries to take the positives out of defeats and, and use them as motivation, and maybe it was the you know the right time to do it rather than you know getting it out of the system before playing Spurs really. And to kind of phrase this, squad rotation uh, is key. Three games again in seven days. Roger says yes. New centre back is needed. Right footed. He wants one to see, and it is interesting because I think you know we said earlier in the show as well. You look at the season as a whole; it's been brilliant. So any criticism is solely labelled at the performance and results that came on Saturday against Villa but I do wonder just how much further we go on reminding ourselves about how far Newcastle United have come because I think we were guilty of this partly at the cup final as well you're speaking to people and it was like we were kind of grateful to be there and I'm not sure that's the mentality you need to to be a, a top elite team and I know they've gone along this project and it's accelerated so quickly it's well ahead of schedule but you know, I'm just looking at Arsenal. If they throw away this title, Mikel Arteta's not walking in that dressing room and going, oh, well, remember, lads, this time last year we were fifth. Do you know what I mean? And I just think there comes a point where you go, OK, you know, we know where we've been, but, you know, we've got to start looking at where we are now at the future. And I just think we can I think people can be guilty sometimes of just repeating that same old line about, well, this time last year, you know, we were fortunate not to be heading down to the championship. But it, that is the fact, though. I get what you mean, and you can't be sentimental. And maybe if Newcastle could do the, the cup final over again, they would maybe go into it with a bit of a, you know, more confidence. But you do have to remember that a lot of this team were, you know, embroiled in a relegation battle last season. But on the other hand, I think if Newcastle United somehow managed to lose a top four spot, I think there will be genuinely, genuine disappointment, even though they'll be playing Europa League football. 
I think to lose it from this position, having played so well the majority of the season, best defence, you know, one of the fewest defeat, it really will hurt. So, look, I don't, I don't think you know you should completely root, you know, forget where Newcastle came from and, and not mention it. But I think it does need to be used as a little bit of a caveat to you know temper expectations somewhat. But for me personally, if they don't see out the top four. They may not have a better chance to, given how you know Chelsea have stuttered and Tottenham have been awful and Liverpool weren't at their best. And also combined with their form, I think if they somehow manage to you know fall away at the end, it, it will be really, really disappointing. A few people in the comments uh, saying they'd like to see targeting for Burn. Andy clarified he was talking about a straight swap, Burn for target and fill there, saying target in for Burn. So it'll be interesting to see just what Eddie Howe does on Sunday. Let's uh, briefly talk about some transfers then, Aaron. Um, we'll start with the name of Declan Rice, one we've spoken about quite a few times on this podcast. Um, linked quite strongly to Newcastle earlier in the week. Eddie Howe asked about um, him by reporters in the pre-match Villa press conference and didn't, didn't brush away the suggestion, just kind of said, yeah, that's the kind of elite player we'd be looking at. What do you make of of the links and rumours, I mean, it would be a big statement signing. I mean, it would be the biggest statement Newcastle could make because, you know, it wouldn't just have to break Newcastle's club record, it would have to also break the Premier League transfer record, you'd imagine. Um, look, no denying his talent, he's, you know, putting two very good performances against Newcastle alone this season. Um, easily, you know, probably one of the midfield, the, the Europe's best midfielders. Um, the only maybe sticking point I see is that, you know, Yes, Newcastle United are are going to spend big, but are they going to really blow a chunk of their budget? And when I say a chunk, I probably mean the majority of their budget this summer on a player like that when they actually probably need five or six gaps filling if they're going to be in Europe. So I don't think you know any fan would be disappointed with it, but I just think it's a huge outlay for it. You know, a, a summer window where you're probably going to need a lot of changes. You know, to this squad. Darren says paying a hundred million for Rice would be madness. I feel the players are overrated. I feel there are better players out there than Rice, and for less than a hundred million, your thoughts on that one, Aaron? Um, I, I don't. I don't think he's overrated. Um, you know, I think again, maybe like Sean Longstaff because he's British and he doesn't score loads of goals. He's maybe not you know viewed as 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 good as he actually is, but there's no denying he's a fantastic midfielder. He covers you know so much ground. He's incredible in exceptions he's really good at carrying the ball he would be absolutely perfect in this team i think the fans would love him um the only real issue or not issue but i think the sticking point would probably be as i said the fee that west ham would demand this summer and the fact that you know chelsea arsenal liverpool and manchester united if they hear that he's leaving you know every single one of them is going to be in for him so yeah they're, they're going to have competition uh to kind of says rice would be perfect they should go all out and again it reaffirms the need to qualify really for the Champions League if you're going to go after these big league players and they're going to want to play uh, European football. So, you know, qualifying for the Champions League, absolutely crucial. Um, again, though, it kind of reaffirms, as, as we've been speaking about in this episode, probably about the need for a defensive midfielder to come in as well. Someone who's on the next level above Sean Longstaff. We know they've been linked to Scott McTominay, Declan Rice there. I think it's clear with the names and the names that we'll mention in a moment, we know exactly where Newcastle are, are really aiming for when it comes to positions in the summer transfer window. Yeah, absolutely. You know, 
pretty much everybody said the same thing, and that is Newcastle need to unleash Bruno in a better position and a, you know further up the pitch. And it's clear that Newcastle want a really deep line, defensive holder midfielder to just sit in front of the back four and let the likes of Willock and Joel and Bruno, you know, sort of do their thing further up the pitch. Um, you know, it's priority number one for the club this summer is to find a player of that ilk. I think they'll go all out in terms of spending big on that position, given that, you know, probably the position they need more than most. Um, you could argue, you know, left back and, you know, on the wing is also crucial, but um, they're definitely, you know, really, really hungry to try and sign a, a deep line midfielder straight away in the summer. Steve says Rice is a fantastic midfielder. Him holding and releasing Bruno to create even more. Some signing that would be. And he says uh, he agrees with Darren. You get two or three players for that hundred million price tag. Trio says, why not go to Europe players and you cut the price in half for the same quality? And Darren says, Taunt the likes of Madison, Florian Ritz, and James Ward-Prowse will be perfect signings this summer. I didn't slip him £20 to mention James Ward-Prowse. He's done that off his own back because he knows he's a genius player. However, you look at James Madison, you look at James Ward-Prowse, they're not going to be that much cheaper than a debt and rice, I don't think, are they? Um, look, I think a lot of it depends on whether Southampton and Leicester go down for starters. I think you know Newcastle should probably be looking at those teams and hoping that um, you know Leicester do probably fall away and and Southampton as well. Um, they're still going to cost a lot of money. Madison, especially, you know Leicester were, were asking for fifty million last summer, um, and you know they probably want similar to that. Ward Prowse, I think you'll get cheaper um, than that, just given his age and. Again, because maybe he's not, you know, as flashy as Madison, but I think you could certainly get a couple of very, very good players for the price that you're going to pay for Declan Rice. But at the same time, you know, adding Declan Rice to any team in Europe improves it. So it's what they've got to balance this summer. Yeah, Roger says if Rice fear has a move to Arsenal, and that's money saved. And look elsewhere, Johnny says James Ward Prowse is a worse player than Longstaff, but with free kicks, how dare you? How dare you? How I dare you? I've not paid him twenty pounds to, to say that either, just to wind you up. With, says the man who runs the Scott McTominay yet to be at Newcastle fan club. Aye aye. How are you, lad? Wind your neck in. Um obviously over the weekend reports at Newcastle have changed their strategy in terms of what comes up this summer. They're gonna go big. Uh, it says one report. Um, what's your view on that? What's your understanding? And how much, again, does Champions League qualification really play a factor in all of this? I mean, you know, Champions League football is an absolute game changer. Just the money that you get for being in that group stage is, is you know, absolutely huge. Um, a lot of it is obviously going to depend on, you know, getting this new shirt sponsor in. A lot of it's going to depend on these commercial deals that can do. Um but I think, you know, the, the ownership know that they've got to spend because they're entering new territory a lot quicker than they thought they would. This squad, if you if you take this squad at the Champions League, and this is you know, no disrespect to the job how it's done, but I think if you take this squad at the Champions League, the struggle, one, because of, you know, the quality of, of, of some of their players, and two, because they just haven't got the depth to be playing Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday. It's, you know, it's just not, not possible at the minute. So... The owners know that they need to spend, and I think we'll see a big influx of players, quality and youngsters. You know, Dan Ashworth very, very keen to get some, you know, young blood into that team. Um, but a lot of it does depend on the competition that they qualify and how he's made no bones about that. And also, you know, 
getting more revenue streams into the club so that they can actually generate this cash while still staying inside the you know the FFP rules. Yeah, man, with the calculator's going to have a busy few months. Um, coming up on the website, uh, contactlive.co.uk at two o'clock, you've got a story going up, Aaron, a bit of a, a transfer line. Just tell our listeners and viewers all about that one. Yeah, so, you know, Newcastle, as, as we've talked about, really, really keen on, on signing a defensive midfielder. And, you know, it's my understanding that they're, they've been very, very keen on a player called Amadou Haidara for, the, you know, pretty much over a year now. They tried to get him last summer from Leipzig. Um, 25-year-old African midfielder, very, very highly rated, um, very, very close to joining Brighton in January. Um, and, you know, Newcastle certainly think he ticks a lot of boxes. Leipzig pretty much resigned to losing him this summer. Um, I think there'll be a very big bid and more for it. But yeah, it's, it's my understanding that Newcastle are still, you know, very keen to make him a, a player this summer. Why do they like him so much? What boxes is he is he ticking? Do you think? He, you know, he, he he did a very interesting interview, you know, a couple of months ago, saying that you know he tries to mould his game on Yaya Toure and Casemiro, and you're probably not going to get a player as good as that at the moment. But I think you're certainly getting a player of that mould, someone who you know, absolutely dominates the defence of that midfield. Um, very, very good security in front of the back four. Um, and look, you know, he's had suitors you know, across Europe, Liverpool, Manchester United, um, clubs in Spain have already, you know, tried and, and failed to get him away from Leipzig. So um, he certainly, as I said, ticks a lot of boxes. And I think he'd be a very, very um, popular deal if it got done. And in terms of a price tag, have we got any idea of how much of the budget you would take up? It looks like Leipzig, you know, rejected a, a deal for about forty million in January, but that was because they thought they could, you know, catch Bayern in the Bundesliga. Um, their stuff, their their stance might soften a bit in the summer, but as I said, a bit and more could also drive that price up. I think you'd probably be looking at you know, for a player of his age and quality, forty fifty million, um, which is certainly in their budget. So I don't think it it would break the bank. And I suppose this is where Newcastle's approach and obviously they're not the only one doing it but of having scouts who are scouring all the leagues in Europe and South America and finding them players who maybe aren't yet on the raids of the Man Cities of the Arsenals but you know will do a level of you know trying to get you into the top four um this is where it pays it pays dividend it, it, it's you know straight out of the Dan Ashworth playbook you just got to look at what he did at Brighton you know they sign players you know, from absolute obscurity in Belgium and Serbia and Japan. And you look at them now when they're going for, you know, 40, 50 million to Arsenal. Matoma, if he goes in the summer, is going to, you know, a lot of money. So Ashworth's made no secret about them wanting to find these young gems from countries where, you know, they're maybe not, you know, in the public eye too much. Um, we've already seen them set up, you know, scouting networks in South America with, you know, trying to find the next Brazilian stars. Um and the club have put out a lot of job adverts recently to try and get scouts across pretty much every country in Europe, um, you know, to make sure they're across pretty much every league. Interesting. And, and, and it, I mean, it builds the foundations of a successful Premier League side. A brilliant interview actually yesterday on the Monday Night Club on BBC Five Live with David Weir of Brighton explaining about how Brighton go about picking the best talents from obscure leagues. It's a, it's a great uh, interview, about quarter past seven on the BBC Sounds, if you've, if you've missed it. Um, the other names mentioned now, in, you know, over the weekend, Ivan Tony mentioned James Madison again. The same names seem to be popping up, and it goes back to the relative understanding that Newcastle have an A list, they have a B list, and it's not necessarily the longest list in the world. 
it's a list of players that if they don't get the one at the top, they'll get the one on third, fourth. But it's still a very short list of players they've looked at, scouted. They know what they're like on and off the field. They know what they want and they're hoping of getting someone on that list. Yeah, we've seen it plenty of times already. We've seen it with Botman. We've seen it with Isaac, you know. Even Haidara, as I said, was a player that they really wanted last summer and they're not afraid to go back in for him later. They know what they want and they aren't, you know, put off if they're if they're rejected once. Um and yeah, it's just good to see that, you know, that they're, they're still keeping on these targets even when they miss out on them the first time round. It's gonna be an interesting summer to come. So sign off then, Aaron. You know, we've got the title there, Magpies embarrassed by Aston Villa. But I want you to sign off on a positive. Give us a positive. Newcastle United, I'm 100% convinced, going to welcome Tottenham to St James's Park on Sunday and absolutely clear them off the park. I think, as as fans understand, it was a bump in the road, it was a blip, it was against a very good Aston Villa team. The Champions League race is in their hands and I think you know Spurs are going to be out that race come Sunday night. There we go. Fingers crossed Newcastle can get victory over Tottenham and boost their chances of a top four finish. I'll be back later in the week with John Gibson and the view from the opposition ahead of that big game against Spurs on Sunday. In the meantime, head over to chroniclive.co.uk where you can catch Aaron's transfer exclusive on Amadou Hidara and hit that like and subscribe button on YouTube and on your podcast platform. Thank you very much for joining us and enjoy the rest 